So sometimes we like to timestamp these podcasts so like you know when we're recording this. Um, it's it's important for you know when things maybe happen in recruiting, things might be happening in terms of like coaching decisions and all that. In terms of Auburn, like Auburn football and Auburn basketball, which are the two sports we we talk about and discuss on here. Um, but sometimes it's also important when we're talking about stuff that has nothing to do with those things. And as we're recording this, it is Sunday, early evening Sunday, um, and the NFC Championship game is still going on. You'll hear this on Monday morning, so you'll know who wins and you'll know who what the Super Bowl matchup is and all that. But we say all that to say this. want to take this opportunity to salute Josh Johnson because Painter and I just went through like a history lesson of Josh Johnson, like right before we started recording because Painter, I think, uh, I think you have a, you had a vested interest in, uh, in, in the San Francisco 49ers today. I, I did what may have been unwise by choosing the team that has the quarterback who's a rookie. And I think the stat going into the game was those rookies are 0 and 4 in these types of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, alas, it sort of doesn't matter because as far as I'm aware, Brock Purdy is not in the game right now. So, I, I love journeyman football players. I love journeyman athletes in in general. Um, I love it when guys are like, you know what? I'm going to try to play this game as long as I can, and I'm not going to hang it up. I know I'm good at it. I enjoy doing it, and I'm just going to keep going. Like real life, you know, I could have gone. I could have gone back to real life at some point. I could have gotten another job, or you know what? Even just coasted off of being a you know, going to coaching. You know, go you know, do whatever ex athletes do. But I do love the guy that like, not a star, not a superstar, but somebody who will just stick around and occupy spots on their, on rosters. And like in the NFL, you see this a lot of time with special teamers. You see it in basketball all the time with guys that just continue to play in the, you know, European foreign leagues or, you know, hang around in the G league for forever. Josh Johnson, who is currently playing quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers because Brock Purdy was injured, is that special case. Painter, you, when I told you Josh Johnson was at quarterback for the Niners, uh, the team that you um, had a vested interest in, you did not know who that was. And so I, some of you may be listening and might not know who Josh Johnson is. This has nothing to do with Auburn, although I, I do want to tie it into Auburn here in a, in a, in a, in a short while, but... Josh Johnson is 36 years old. He was taken um, in the fifth round of the 2008 NFL draft. He played at San Diego, not San Diego State. He played at the University of San Diego, where he was coached by um, Jim Harbaugh. And so was an All-American kind of FCS player. He spent his first few years of his career as a backup in Tampa Bay, where he got drafted. And then I'm going to read you the career history of Josh Johnson, Right now. So, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then San Francisco 49ers, Sacramento Mountain Lions, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, San Francisco 49ers again, Cincinnati Bengals again, New York Jets, Indianapolis Colts, Buffalo Bills, Baltimore Ravens, New York Giants, Houston Texans, Oakland Raiders, Washington Redskins, San Diego Fleet, Detroit Lions, Los Angeles Wildcats, which is an XFL team from two years ago. Back to the San Francisco 49ers again, New York Jets again, Baltimore Ravens again, Denver Broncos again, and now the San Francisco 49ers. For the fourth time in his career, he is a member of the San Francisco 49ers. And I just, again, Josh Johnson, 
I, I love Josh Johnson because he's just a dude who's like, hey, I'll be your backup quarterback. I will be the emergency option. You gotta you gotta think better. This dude must be awesome in practices or like just a great teammate or something like that because like he has been he has been the backup quarterback for like half the teams in the NFL in the last fifteen years. I like when a player, especially in football, goes down to a lower level and is somehow able to pull themselves back up, especially in football. I, I guess in baseball, that's not totally uncommon, and you see it some in basketball too. Yeah, like it's a little bit tougher to do in um, in football and in basketball. Like you'll see some guys come back from Europe, Europe from time to time. There's the occasional major league player who played in Korea for a little bit or played in the Mexican league and is back in, you know, or you like, might've gone to the minors for a little while. Um, I do want to do want to point out a few things here because like the journeyman, we, we really love the journeyman. And I think the best example of this currently, um, is that, you know, currently right now in the NFL, Auburn has two players that have been around, for 10 or more years, or active players in the NFL that have been around for two or more years. Uh, Painter, I'll put you on the spot here. Do you know who these players are? Could you name the two players in the NFL right now that are um, that, that played in the 2022 season that have had a decade of, or uh, have had a career of over a decade in the NFL? Could you Josh Bynes comes to mind. Yep. I was going to say maybe a defensive back, but I, I don't actually know. If I told you it was a position you probably weren't thinking of, would you? Would it jog your memory a little bit? Alas, still no go. Okay, it's Josh Harris, long snapper on the uh, 2010 National Championship team. He played for a decade for the Falcons, and now he's with the Chargers. Listen to this, man. Man played, uh, played a decade, was a Pro Bowl long snapper, was a second-team All-Pro long snapper two years ago, and then got paid, man. Four years, $5.6 million dollars. Contract with the Chargers just to snap a football, just just to snap, which is key, which is fundamental. But I love that man. Like Josh Harris is thirty three years old, and you know he he came up by just being you know a really really good at one specific skill, and now he's had this 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 long career for it. Josh Bynes, by the way, let's talk about let's talk about our friend Josh Bynes. Josh Bynes is um, currently a free agent. He did. Um, he 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 was on the Ravens for a little bit this year on the active roster, back and forth between them and the practice squad. Josh Bynes, though, by the way, Ravens, Lions, Cardinals, Ravens again, Bengals, Panthers, back to the Ravens. He won a Super Bowl. Um, in fact, if I remember correctly, um, not only is it, you know, one of the few people on planet Earth who can say they've won a national championship and a Super Bowl, not very many dudes can say that. Or two, if I remember correctly, was it? Didn't Bynes get the last tackle of the Ravens Super Bowl win? I want to say that because like he's been a special teams dude like his career. I, I hope I'm not making that up, but yeah, like Josh Bynes, 33 years old, decade bouncing around. He's been a practice squad guy a couple times in the past year, but he's still in there. He's still he's still making it happen. And it's like that stuff to me continues to be really really cool, and I love players like that. And so you know, it's not something like you want to be in the NFC championship game and you're looking up and you're relying on a guy <laughs> who was playing in the XFL two years ago to be your quarterback. But also it's like, you know, I, I think we, you know, there's so much talk of like, you know, there's so much attention I should say that goes to 
the the guys who were big names or everyone's like trying to find like the talk about the the rookies or the young guys and the up and comers and all that. And I just I don't know I, I've always had a soft spot for the for the journeyman and you know Auburn having a pair of those two guys that helped win you know na- Auburn a national championship and are still you know still making it happen in the pros is is just pretty cool to me. I think for some reason I wanted Jonathan Jones to have been in the league for ten years, but he is an undrafted free agent in 2016 so he's had a good run yeah. but not he's had nearly a really a decade. good run he's won two he's super bowls a... and he got paid a couple of years ago if i'm not mistaken yeah no he's he's in a good spot for sure um let's see other ones that have been around for a while um i don't think darren bates was on a roster this year i think bates would have been the closest to that and then that and then yeah after that you've got uh Man, Angelo Blackson, uh, of course, C.J. Uzama, and Jonathan Jones around that, all, all around that era of guys. Angelo Blackson, man, now that's a that's a fun one to go back to. And and Blackson um, like recorded pretty much a stat in every game he played this past year for the Bears. So like he's still he's still getting on the field and and making things happen at his point in his career, which is really cool to see. There was a there was a question the other day in the mailbag, and. We'll get we'll get to basketball on this, but or after this, but there was a question the other day in the mailbag that I was asked that I wanted to pose to you, Painter, and somebody asked me who were my favorite Auburn football players that were not starters, and I picked two, and I picked two from guys early on that I covered um, early on, guys that have always stuck out to me. Number one was Corey Grant on offense. Um, I love dudes that have, again, you do one thing really really well, and uh, for I mean obviously Corey Grant's a great athlete and he's done plenty of things well but that speed just got him on the field you know so much i also think it's cool that he was a dude that was a local kid but also was a guy one of the rare alabama to auburn transfers we've ever seen um you know so Corey grant you know great kick returner got to play in the league for a little bit because of his kick returning ability and then on defense i've always had a soft spot you know when i covered and uh, you remember andrew williams for for auburn Dude who was always just, you're going to be like your number three or number four defensive tackle, but he made plays when he's out there on the field. And like, he always, I always remember him just being like a dude who was like really excited and like, uh, uh, really, I don't know. He just, he just played with a lot of joy. He was always like going through tiger walk amped up guy who was a pretty good recruit coming out of high school, but like never really was like a superstar, not like a starter, all sec type of player. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you need you need dudes like that. You need the Andrew Williamses of the world to play play that that kind of position for your team. So I wanted to pose a question to you, Painter. Kind of along these lines of these journeymen or these unsung heroes of, of football. Is there a player, a non-starter for Auburn football that you say would say your would be your favorite? A guy that you know was not a starter, maybe not have been a regular starter. You know, if you name somebody who got like a spot start or something, like yeah, nobody will hold it against you. Uh, I'll have to think about it a little more. That's not a good answer for a podcast, but I don't have anything that comes off the top of the head. Fair enough. I think it's, I think it's smart to, um, you know, even though we are in the preparedness and entertainment and information sector of the world, like I think it's important from time to time to just be like, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> like, nope, ain't got it. Sorry, guys. I tried like, to do a quick search of people from the early 2000s when I was a, a child, and probably the nostalgia would have been ramped up a little bit more. Right. But, but even you remember then, starters. I, yeah, you remember guys who were starters. Like, it's hard to 
That's why I had to pick out a guy. That's why I had to pick out guys from when I first started covering the team, and when you had to have a deeper knowledge of the roster and a deeper knowledge of like who did what, like that. You know, it started because like, when you're a kid, you you remember the. You gravitate towards the players that bring you the most memories, which we sort of talked about recently with the way that we think about some of the players like Derek Hall. You know, they've right. on some teams that have not been as successful, but that does not diminish their career accomplishments. Well, yeah, and it's like I could. You know, I can remember and recall like a lot of players from that 2014, but you know, they're starters. Like they were guys that got on the field a good bit, and not just you know you can go past the Campbells and Brant, like the first round guys. Um, and you can go past that, but even still, it's like you're going to pull up like starters. I thought your answer was going to be Dre Butler. <laughs> that was the that was the one that like Dre I was Butler dying for him to be good, dying yeah. for him to be good. Never happened. Yep, I think he's a. Michigan State now? I think that's where he ended up after Liberty. Yeah, I mean, we always have those guys. I remember I put my foot down and said that Austin, from our last podcast, if you listen to it, Austin Keys is going to be the guy this year at linebacker just by nature of the fact that he's from Mississippi and Auburn's on a heater when it comes to guys from Mississippi right now. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the free edition, the recap edition, the weekend recap edition. You're getting this on a Monday. Happy Monday morning to those of you listening then. If not, if you're listening later, happy whatever time it is. It's the beauty of podcasts. You can listen to them whenever. Just Ferguson uh, checking in from an undisclosed location in the state of Alabama. Not Auburn. I'm not in Auburn right now. But neither is Painter Sharpless. He's in Bart's Unknown. Painter, how are we doing? Hello, brother. No complaints on my end. It's snowy here. We got some single-digit oh. days coming up. Oh, yikes. Yikes. Not not a fan of that. Not a fan of that at all. Uh, but uh, hopefully hopefully, the folks of Parts Unknown can look to your leadership and guidance and stay warm during these tri- trials and tribulations. All right, we're here to talk um, a number of things. We're going to do some football uh, towards the end of the podcast. I went to Montgomery on Friday and uh, talked um, the Alabama Football Coaches Association's annual clinic that they do. A lot of big-name coaches are there. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart uh, were obviously the headliners along with Hugh Freeze. Uh, but then you had um, you had Josh Heupel was there, and you had uh, John Summerall from, from Troy, and there's one more that I'm blanking on right now, and I feel like a moron for forgetting who it was, Sam Pittman from Arkansas was also there talking to hundreds and hundreds of football coaches in the state of Alabama, um, which, you know, turns out that might be useful if you're going to try to recruit this area moving forward. Um, and I was going to ask, is this something that Harson passed on or had he done his due diligence with regards to this event? I think he did the Alabama one. I know the Georgia one was the one that everybody got up in arms about. But I'm not 100% sure. Auburn brought a crew, too. It just it wasn't just Hugh Freeze. It was, I saw Marcus Davis there. I saw Josh Aldridge, the, the linebackers. I saw Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator, uh, and a number of, you know, um, number of staffers from Auburn trying to make a presence um, because, yeah, I mean, anybody who is uh, anybody uh, in, in Alabama high school coaching was there, and you got to build up those relationships. So we'll talk about that, talk about it a little bit of what we learned from that uh, and some more football information 
as we move forward. But let's talk basketball. It's in season mode for basketball, and Auburn dropping a tough one at West Virginia, eighty to seventy-seven on Saturday. Now, let's let's say this from the jump: tough loss, disappointing loss for Auburn. Um, not a terrible loss, and you know there are no moral victories, and that's true. But this isn't a loss that I think is going to damage Auburn too much. Um, fall a few spots in Kempom by the end of the weekend. Fall a few spots in the net. West Virginia, I know people may look at their record and say, ooh, gross. But, you know, the Big 12 is pretty brutal this year. This was a quad one game for Auburn. Missed opportunity. You lose by three. They were like a four or four and a half point dog, so they did cover the spread. But more importantly, it just shows you like this. Okay, it wasn't like they lost to a team they shouldn't have lost to, right? That's on paper. That's kind of how this game was going to go. It's the way it happened. I think that's going to only add to the frustration. Painter, before we started recording, you know, you were talking about you know this team about basketball, and I think frustrating was the word that you used the most and kind of describing your feelings about it. And it makes sense because I think right now that's the best way to kind of describe the state of what Auburn basketball is in at the moment. Like they've won five straight and then they lose back-to-back games where it's like just irritating for fans, I know, the way they lost these two games. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw throw it over to you and your kind of snap judgment initial reaction of, a loss again, like it's not a terrible loss. West Virginia is a very good team. They're going to be like top twenty, top twenty-five in a lot of metrics. Maybe not rank, not human polls because of their record, but they play like a really, really good basketball team. And um, in a lot of ways, they showed that on, on Saturday, and Auburn fell short against them. I think there's context to this loss that might provide a silver lining, but also adds a sense of helplessness. Auburn. Lost a close road game to a competent West Virginia team. Their record is incompatible with uh, the skill. I think West Virginia is is more talented as a better team than just glancing at their record would indicate. The downside is that Auburn's deficiencies don't seem like something that they're really able to correct. And in certain games, especially certain matchups, maybe against certain players, and a, a team that plays a certain style, I think Auburn is just going to be in a tough spot. It is, and I think you showed, you know, I thought the A&M game showed a lot of stuff, the deficiencies for Auburn, and kind of puts it kind of really bare, and I think the West Virginia game did as well, even when Auburn came back. Uh, let's make it clear, first half Auburn was pretty poor on both ends of the floor. They were down by 16 Um you know, the break, they were down by 17 early in the second half. They rallied back. They never took the lead, never tied, but they came oh so close over and over again. And here's the thing. Here's the difference in your ballgame. You lose the game by three in a game where Eric Stevenson goes 7-10 from deep. And not every one of Eric Stevenson's seven makes were heavily contested, but Painter, it felt like several of them, if not most of them, were. Man was unconscious. He was catching and shooting and pulling up and just, just dead-eye. Um it's got to be frustrating. I know it's frustrating because I asked Bruce Pearl about it after the game and he looked pretty frustrated about it. And he said, hey, you should do that more often, which is true. You don't go 7-10 to 10 very often, but he's the type of shooter who could. That's the thing. It's, it, it was an outlier game for him. You know, Eric Stevenson is a good shooter. But you look at his career numbers, after that game, he's shooting 37% from deep, 34% last year South Carolina, 
And before that, he was about a career 30% three-point shooter. So it's not a dude that just, oh, you got to watch out for him. He's going to be one of the best shooters in the country. He got really, really hot. And here's the thing. Auburn loses a game where, yeah, yes, he had 31, and you can sit here and say that's another guard that tore up Auburn. But it's very different. You look at Kendrick Davis, Boogie Ellis, uh, Terry Roberts, and then from earlier, um, you know, from earlier in the week, what Auburn had to had to deal with when they were trying to guard Tyrese Radford. You're talking about guys who drove a lot, guards um, that got to the basket, really attacked different levels of the defense, um, really exposed some some of Auburn's weaknesses in like ball screen coverage and rim protection at times when things are getting out of whack. Like all those guys. Yeah, they hit some threes. Eric Stevenson was just catching and shooting, man, and was just pulling and firing. And, and like, you know, a lot of his stuff that he did was just dead eye. Hey, he got it. Eric Stevenson's 6'4 and can shoot pretty well. And when he gets hot, it's pretty dangerous, as Auburn showed. An average shooting day, a normal shooting day for Eric Stevenson, he probably goes 3 of 10, 4 of 10. And maybe Auburn comes out with a win. And that's not making excuses. That's just pointing out what happened in this game and why it was such a so, so frustrating. But I think the thing there is is that he was shooting so well, and Auburn went to a zone in the second half, and that zone has has served them well. Because here's the thing with Auburn: you've got you've got your guards up front in your defense, man to man defense, and Wendell Green Jr., who is for all of the positives that he brings to the floor, he's still five eleven. And defensively, that's going to be tough in certain matchups. Zepp Jasper is a maniac guarding the ball on ball. Katie Johnson, who had a really good second half, and we'll talk more about his resurgence, can be a maniac as well on defense. But when you're having to guard guys who have several inches taller or taller than you, especially if you're sitting back in his own defense, they can just rise up and shoot over you. And in the case of Stevenson, when you have three, four, five inches on your matchup, they can even have a hand in your face and it's not going to affect it as much as say if Alan Flanagan was out there or, and so that, that's something that Auburn's been missing because we can look at Jedi Broom and Jalen Williams and the good games from Wendell Green Jr. and Alan Flanagan. You're not expecting those guys to score 25 or 30 on you. And the teams that Auburn has lost to this year have had guys they're capable of doing that, whether it's by the fact that they are so good at being scoring guards, uh, driving to the basket, just kind of being like three-level guys, or dudes who are just pulling up and, and, and knocking them down like, like Eric Stevenson did. You may have sat there and think, thinking through that game, if you're Auburn, or if you're an Auburn fan, man, I wish I had a Eric Stevenson on my team. Well, Auburn tried. Auburn was one of the teams that reached out to Eric Stevenson when he entered the, entered the transfer portal. He's kind of been this gun for hire in college basketball, and I don't say that flippantly. Um, it's just the man's – this is his fourth team he's played for. And he's bounced around, and, like, Arkansas went after him because Arkansas went with it, went after anybody with a heartbeat uh, in the transfer portal this past year. But Auburn reached out to him. He ends up going to West Virginia. He's West Virginia's best player. The interesting thing that I think – Painter, I know we've talked about, is that Auburn was in this situation this year, and Bruce Pearl's talked about it on you know on the record about not recruiting over the heads of certain guys on their team. 
Like, you knew you were going to have to replace Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. And so when you plug in Janai Broom, it's like, yeah, you're going to come in with Janai Broom. When they said that when Janai got here, it was like, hey, you're going to compete with Dylan Cardwell. You're going to try to win the job. But it's a little bit different trying to beat out a guy like Dylan Cardwell. And no disrespect to Dylan, I'm just talking about statistically and his role to that point, being behind Walker Kessler, and trying to beat out, say, a Zepp Jasper or Katie Johnson. And so I think in the transfer portal, and we saw Auburn, there's a number of guys that Auburn went after in the transfer portal at the shooting guard, the two-guard spot this year, some some more three-point shooters where they can be an upgrade to it that ended up going elsewhere where they were guys that I think were going to be guaranteed more play, you know, playing time, more starter opportunities, whatever you want to call it. It's tougher to do because if you're Bruce Pearl, you just look at the team that, I mean, it would have been very, very hard. And, and people have said this all year, and like every time Auburn loses, it comes back into the forefront, especially with the way guards have played against Auburn. It's that, well, Bruce didn't upgrade the backcourt, and this is why it's happening. You've got to also look at, yes, the, the roster management element is, is, is one thing, but I think you also have to understand the human element of this as well. And in the fact that Bruce Pearl didn't necessarily want to come in and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to get starters over you guys. Hey, thanks for helping us win an SEC championship. Now we're going to replace you, right? And I think that's a whole lot harder to do. It's a, it's a whole lot harder to be, you know, for lack of a better term, ruthless in the transfer portal or ruthless in the way you recruit when you're coming off of an SEC title win. It would be one thing if Auburn had a bad year and it was like, okay, you need to upgrade. It's different. So it's just this unique situation where I think Auburn's success last year with the guys they did and who they brought back made it so that it was a little different and that you weren't able to bring a guy like Eric Stevenson. He's not the only one. I mean, they went after um, the kid from Florida or who's playing at Florida, Will Richard, who uh, who plays at Florida uh, from Belmont. And so they weren't able to get that guy. And in these games we've seen – in West Virginia, I think it was the best example because it's like, okay, maybe Auburn can't snap their fingers and say, man, it would be cool to have a Tyrese Radford or a Boogie Ellis or a Kendrick Davis. You know, those are those are pretty unique guys. Terry Roberts, guys played a lot of basketball as well. It's a lot easier and it would have been a lot more you know, fitting for this team for them to just say, man, it would have been great to have a taller dude who could knock down threes. And, and, and I think that's, a, I think, you know, I've been rambling here, but like I feel like that's that was what really stings for Auburn fans is that like not only is that somebody you wanted to have, like it is legit, like literally the person you wanted, uh, at least you know at least early on in the in the transfer portal process, there was interest there from Auburn, and Bruce Pearl said it after the game. I mean, he said it point blank. He said Stevenson had his best game. He's always played well against us, which is true. He had two big games against Auburn last season. He went after Derek Hall in the in the student section uh, in that game last year. And he said, quote, that's why we tried to recruit him. Like, they're not going to hide it. They're not going to shy away from that. They wanted this dude. And it, it is tough that you lose a game because you don't have a guy like that. And the other team did. That context is all important. And you, at the end, shook the words out of my mouth. I mean, it sprinkles in a little salt into that wound at the two spot watching that performance, even if it's not likely Auburn would have gotten that out of him night to night. Yeah. I mean, no, this is, he hadn't done that to anybody this year. This was a career game for him. 
And like Bruce said, when I asked him at the end about like, man, how tough is it to watch a dude hit a ton of contested threes on you? He said, yeah, he should do that more often. And it's like, yeah, he should. He should. It's tough. It's tough. I think I mean, in our last episode, you mentioned that Auburn, all the things you just said about roster management, players not progressing, an injury to Chance Westry, maybe. That, oh would have God, that's so huge. It's, so there's some so bad huge. luck that's at play, and the bad luck theme sort of reared its head again in this matchup where he goes nuclear. And again, he's a fine player. He would have probably helped Auburn if he chose yeah, to come here. For sure. I just don't think he would have been dropping that every night either. But now Auburn fans have to watch that and go, well, I wonder what if. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we talked about it. There's a mailbag question on Friday about this, but it's just like, you got to look back. I mean, at one point in time, Auburn thought they were going to have Desi Sills, Justin Powell, <laughs> and Trey Alexander at a different, like, and some of them overlapping at the two guard spot. Now, some of those guys, like, you know, you don't get them. If you don't get them, you don't have Katie Johnson. And we'll talk about Katie here momentarily. But, you know, for Auburn, I just think it's it's tough because this is a basketball team that, again, I will continue to say this even in a two-game losing streak. I said it during the five-game winning streak as well. This is a good, not great team. But they don't have, like, this is a team that's built more on their defense. This is a team built more on the balance. It's the fact that their best players, their best scoring options, their best, their most consistent scoring options are front court players, and those aren't guys that you can necessarily say, "Hey, dribble around and hit shots," like some of these guys that I've heard Auburn have been. So, I mean, that's 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 tough, and that's tough. Ultimately, like I said, this game's going to kind of go in as a missed opportunity. You lose a road game, a road quad one game. The the selection committee is not going to pop you too much. Like I said, you didn't lose a whole lot of ground in, in your rankings. We'll see where they end up in the, you know, the where people project them in the bracket. But this team kind of screams 7-8 seed right now. Like, that's kind of where they're at at the moment. And, like, even with the tough games they have coming up, keep in mind this Auburn team has, has lost just five games this year. And, yes, they've got some tougher games coming up. But winning 16 games in a, from a power conference to this point in a season where they're, they're just down years across. Like people, people got to understand. Like somebody's got to go to the somebody's got to go to the tournament. You know, um, our buddy Jay uh, uh, at Albon on Twitter uh, pointed out like Auburn's in Kempom right now is right by Duke in North Carolina. Like Kentucky's under them. Like. There's a lot of good teams or good programs that are kind of going through this year because it's just kind of a down year for elite teams in college basketball. Gonzaga is a four-loss team at this point in the year. I mean, there's just a number of options where you can kind of point to it and say, okay, like Arkansas is not the not the nuclear team that we thought they were going to be this year. And also, it's got to keep in mind, take it one game at a time. Take it also in, in what, the, what this game looked like. I mean, the first half against West Virginia – Auburn looked like, man, if they play like this the rest of the year, they're going to have a hard time doing much of anything. It looked like the Georgia game, and it looked like a lot of the A&M game. But playing that second half against West Virginia, again, there are no moral victories. I'll say, I'll keep saying that, but you might look up if you're Auburn and say, yeah, this was a loss, but you might have been able to take away some things in the fight they showed in the second half. Bruce Pearl saying this after the game, quote, proud of the kids for playing in a hard, tough environment, obviously trusted each other. I thought the togetherness on the bench was the best that we had all year. Guys were really rooting hard for each other. In some ways, we made progress. 
And I look at the way they fought in the second half, better defense, a whole, one of the best offensive halves they've had against anybody all year. The comeback effort that they made, Katie Johnson coming through and having a big second half, Janai Broom having a huge second half, Jalen Williams having a huge second half. Being able to kind of pick up on that and build off of that, it's a loss, it's a missed opportunity, but it's not a season wrecker. You know, it's not going to be this brutal blow, just just this punch a hole in their resume kind of thing. It's more of like, man, you you might go back at the end of the year if you're Auburn or, you know, in March, they might be like, man, man, if what if we could have taken that one, taking that one, maybe it'll improve your seating a little bit, maybe you're, you're feeling a little bit better about it. Of course, there's a lot of basketball left to be played, but what I'm saying is, is like. It's hard to take one game or one week and just say, well, this is going to apply to the rest of the season. Because if you want to play that game, okay, uh, let's play that game of, you know, what this team was this week or what they showed this week is what they're going to be the rest of the year or, you know, that's the kind of performances they're going to have the rest of the year and that's why, you know, they're doomed to fail in the with the way the schedule is getting tougher. And I, they do have to keep improving and playing better because you do have to play Tennessee twice. They do have to play Alabama twice and all that. However... Let me point something out. This past week for Alabama, who was playing the best basketball of anybody in the country, trailed for a lot of the game against Mississippi State at home, came back and won that game. Full credit to them. And then they go to Oklahoma and get absolutely smacked. And that's not to say, like, I don't think you look up and say, well, Alabama's a bad basketball team because of it. But this week alone, Alabama probably played their two worst games of basketball in months back-to-back. Now, are we sitting here and saying, that's what Alabama is? That's who they're going to be the rest of the year? No. But it shows you that in college basketball, things can change really quickly because these are non-professionals. For a lot of these guys, these are the guys who aren't quite at the level of professionals around their same age at this point. And it's a weird game. And, and, and home court advantage means a lot. And experience matters a lot. And the ball bounce is funny. Alabama lost to Oklahoma yesterday. Oklahoma scored 93 on them. Oklahoma scored 93 points in that game. Just couldn't miss. Could not miss. And Alabama had one of their worst offensive games of the season so far. And I say all that to say this is like, don't take a week, don't take a game and make it a whole reflection of the entire season or what's going to happen moving forward because you can do that positively and negatively and there's a danger in that. But I also think to that point, your second half performance against West Virginia for Auburn, I think it's very important that you're carrying it into a game against Georgia instead of, you know, having to go turn around and play Tennessee right off of that. There is a chance to build that momentum off of it. I'm not sure how much meat there is to take off the bone here. I've mentioned this to you. I know I've talked about it with my friend Alston because he brought some of these to my attention. But over the last few seasons, Auburn has had some really tough misses and what ifs as we talk some about Stevenson and Mm -hmm. uh, what this season might've looked like if they beat West Virginia on the road. And like you say, it's really more of a a missed opportunity than it is a stain on the season. Uh, But Scoot Henderson potentially coming to Auburn is, is brutal. I wonder if, NIL happens a little sooner if that matters to him or if he was just – he may have just been set on being like, I don't want to do the school thing, and that would make sense. Hey, man, Scoot and Scoot and Jalen Green, those are two two guards. Right, <laughs> like, right. Two, like these, this is the position we're talking about. Trey Alexander, we've talked about that some. Uh, He's playing really well at Creighton. 
Justin Powell, I don't know how that would have worked out long term. He's bounced around a lot. Sometimes I wonder just because a guy might have some skills that would benefit you, you know, does it mesh with the rest of your locker room? I can't say I'm not there, but I've always wondered. Uh, Desi, we talked about Desi more than once. Playing uh, on a good Kansas State team this year. I don't begrudge either of these players for doing what they did. In fact, it makes a lot of sense in my head. However, one of them makes less sense to me having played the results out. JT Thor going pro, I get it. You're all upside. You're young. I do sometimes wonder what it would have been like for Sharif if he had come back for one more season. Again, I understand why he made that decision, and it still makes sense to me in many ways. But I actually think he's a player that might have benefited Oh yeah, coming back because of the way we've seen things unfold and because of name, image, and likeness. A hundred percent. I think also, I mean, you're putting him on a team last year with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. I mean, man, you're talking about a, you're talking about a, a dynamic team, a a phenomenal team because I mean, Sharif in his short time of playing at Auburn was, he had numbers that were just absurd, absurd. And, but, you play with what you got. I think Bruce Pearl's done a good job this season because the roster hasn't fallen the way that they wanted it to, obviously. Chance Westry getting hurt and staying out is, and, and, and again, we've said this a bunch of times already because people keep asking about it. Chance Westry's not playing right now, according to Bruce Pearl, because they don't want to throw him into the fire right now after missing all that time and have it shatter his confidence. He said they want to protect him, and I think that's, I think that's key. So the guy's going to end up being like a medical red shirt without being a medical red shirt. Next season, you start looking at that. Next season, you start looking at maybe Yoan Treor being that up. Because, again, Treor has been like that as well, where in certain matchups and certain games, he's looked good, but hasn't been consistent. Chris Moore's back in the lineup. They play Chris Moore at the four more than, they, you know, put Leo Berman in there at the three. I thought Auburn had a good game for their bench against West Virginia. This is that comeback effort that they made, though. Trey Donaldson, by the way, I'll say something real quick. Trey Donaldson, you wonder if he's kind of getting in that groove again where he can get into more more minutes and potentially help Auburn out maybe in a 1-2 scenario with Wendell Green Jr. because he did play a better game than Wendell did in limited minutes against West Virginia. He doesn't, you know, Trey Donaldson doesn't, know the offense inside and out or the defense inside and out like some of the older guys do. But, like, he makes things happen, man. There were some stretches in that first half where Auburn wasn't hitting anything, and at least Trey Donaldson was getting buckets um, for you. And so you do wonder what that's going to look like. This team has to continue to adapt and evolve and take it a game at a, a, game at a time because, again, when you're a team – what are what are Auburn's strengths this season as a team, right? The, it's Their strengths are they're deep in terms of guys that they play, and they're experienced, okay? They don't have an NBA first-rounder on this team, it looks like right now. You know, maybe guys can develop, maybe some of the younger guys can develop into that, but you don't have that at the moment. You're going to have to be the team that out-executes the other team more often than not. And so, it is a game-by-game kind of thing. It is a This team is more game-plan-centric. This team is more strategic kind of strategy-centric than it. And you saw in this game in particular, you play badly in the first half, you adjust at halftime, come out in the second half, you almost come out with a win. So, like, this team is capable of turning the corner and flipping the switch. They lose to Georgia. They win five straight. They lose back-to-back against Texas A&M and West Virginia. What do they do from here, right? Because 
this we talked about it last week, Painter. This Georgia game becomes about as much win as you can get for Auburn because of just how tough things are about to be moving forward for them in terms of their schedule. And Georgia, I don't want to pile on Georgia because I think Georgia's had a pretty good year. But Georgia, you know, got off to a decent start, lost Florida. They were three and one to start SEC play, and then they lose at Kentucky, home to Vanderbilt, get blown out at Tennessee, and then they need overtime to beat South Carolina at home on Saturday. So Again, Georgia's better than expected this year, but this is also not a team that you're saying, hey, they're going to the NCAA tournament, or hey, they're going to the NIT. Like, you've got it. It's a, it's a revenge game. You're back at home. This game becomes so crucial because you don't want to lose three straight. And, yes, you do have some really, really tough games coming up, but I think I, think, I keep going back to that Oklahoma-Alabama game and the fact that it's just like, man, <laughs> weird stuff happens in college basketball, and you can't sit here and say, well, there's no way Auburn can go to Knoxville and play a really good game and potentially come out with a win against Tennessee. Is it going to be tough? Absolutely, man. Tennessee's got the best defense in America, and they're choking the lights out of people right now. But is it impossible? Man, I would have thought it was going to be impossible for Oklahoma to, like, that was a an historic smoking of Alabama yesterday. But again, I think Alabama's going to pick themselves right back up and shake it off and win the SEC and... You know, that'll just be a bump in the road. But it just goes to show you that even the best teams have these lulls because it's college basketball. It's basketball in general, but especially in college basketball where things are not very consistent on a week-to-week basis. Georgia looks like your most winnable game until Missouri midway through February. And, you know, Missouri's no slouch. They have the same record as Auburn right now. They were ranked not too long ago. At least they get Missouri at home, but... After that Georgia game, you go to Knoxville, you go to College Station, you host Alabama. <laughs> you got to have the Georgia game. You got to have the Georgia game, 100%. And so I wonder how much of the second half effort with what Auburn did on offense, Jalen Williams and Janai Broom. I mean, Janai, it's easy. You know, even the couple of games where he didn't double double, it's like, just watch Janai Broom, man. He's the best player Auburn's got this year in terms of just consistent talent. Jalen Williams has the potential to have the most impact on the team, like best all around. But again, that's your four and your five. And in modern basketball, it's harder just to be like, all right, we're going to feed it everything through them. Especially when the other team has a guy like Eric Stevenson or Tyrese Radford or some or Terry Roberts, who Auburn will play again on, on Wednesday. And those guys can really come and get you, you know, from the guard spot. So can you build on that? Can you build on, on that bounce back that you had in the second half? Is there something you can do with your rotations? Can you can you get is KD Johnson was KD Johnson's game for real against West Virginia? I think it was. I mean, I the man played really really well in the second half. Hit some big shots, tried tried to drive and like he still has that ability and that speed to get to the basket and it, and it's he's not turning the ball over as much. Do that, get a little bit more consistent play from your point guard and your in your top wing and Maybe you got something here if you're Auburn. The team that played, I'll say this, the team that played in the second half against West Virginia on Saturday, that team can win six or seven more games in, in regular season play. The team that played in the first half could could get rough in the second half of the year, or the second half of SEC play, I should say. Uh, but you got ten games left, Got got five weeks. Got five weeks to show, is this a team that is going to be solidly in the, SEC, in the NCAA tournament, a team that could potentially still snatch a top four seed in the SEC, or is this a team that's going to be living life on the bubble for a while? Like we said, 
West Virginia, that was not a game that you would expect Auburn to win. They came close. They fought back. But this is gut check time. The West Virginia game, because it's not a conference game and because it was such a quality road game, it's not going to hurt you too much in terms of your resume. However, what's about to come here in the next five weeks? This is your season right here. This is your season. And it's about time to see if Auburn's experience and balance can help win out. Um, Because, again, this is not a very consistent basketball team because it's a college basketball team. (laughs) And that's just how they go. This is still top 25, top 30 team. Still a team that's projected to make the NCAA tournament. But they got some work to do to lock it down and potentially improve on the position they're at right now. Some of the halves and some of the games they played this season, if they play that way more consistently, this is a team that can still accomplish a lot of its goals. All right, before we talk a little football here, well, first off, I think we should let everyone know that they can listen to this podcast even more. You can get twice the amount of it if you sign up for the Auburn Observer. Subscription to the Auburn Observer includes all of our newsletters and all of our podcasts. And sometimes you get random stuff like when the other day I sent out uh, what we got from uh, Hugh Freeze in Montgomery. I'm going to try to kind of test out those little quick notes um, that you can get emailed to your inbox. I'm going to try out try those out a little bit more. Seem to have pretty good reaction from them. But you can get that with a subscription to the Auburn Observer, auburnobserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. Or you can sign up for a free one-week trial to check us all out. There's a link in the description, buttons in the emails, easy way to uh, sign up, and we appreciate it because we've got a ton of stuff going on right now. So a lot of in-depth stuff on Auburn football and men's basketball with our observations, mailbags, every one of our podcasts, uh, including Friends of the Program, which had a new episode this past week. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff in the works that we're trying to do here as we get closer to football season and through the rest of basketball season. So perfect time to join us at auburnobserver.com. For those of you who are listening on the free feed only, uh, join the inner circle. There's thousands of people who are in there, uh, and uh, actually over a thousand, not thousands, multiple yet. But we'd love to get there at some point. Sign up, be a part of the inner circle, and you get everything we do sent straight to your email inbox. You can also help us out for no money if you enjoy the show. Painter, tell them how they can do it. Rate, review, subscribe. Easy stuff. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a line or two. We appreciate that. That helps us a lot. Obviously, rating. Just drop five stars. Mash the subscribe button. You can uh, you can follow, which is the same thing, you know, on Spotify. Subscribe, follow. And you can leave us, if I'm not mistaken, five stars on Spotify. Just no review on Spotify. We appreciate it if you do it in both places. And most of all, we appreciate you listening. This is a fun time of the year with basketball tournament coming up, uh, both conference and obviously the big dance. Spring football, always uh, exciting for, you know, time of the year when you're thinking about the what-ifs of the year. We've talked a good bit about what-ifs today. But, you know, back to being zero and zero in spring ball, which means anything is theoretically possible. Yeah, we'll talk We'll talk some spring ball here momentarily. Do have a new review to read. As we said, it's so easy. Go to Apple Podcasts, search the Auburn Observer, tap ratings and reviews, write a review, say five stars, give us five stars, say something nice, and we'll read it on the air because we're vain people and we like shouting you out. Painter, this one's very personal to me uh, because this this podcast review, this new one that we've got, uh, is someone who uh, is aware of and uh, can associate with my past. So here we go. This is a new 
review from someone who liked to be known as Andy Pharmacist. Here we go. It says, I call it like I see it. This is my favorite podcast by a former Covington County Pharmacy Associate, even if it was in op. That's me right there, folks. I enjoy the honest commentary of Auburn Sports. Thank you to the Andy Pharmacist. Shout out to the Andalusia Bulldogs, by the way. It's hard for me to say something nice about Andalusia because I went to op and, you know, Andalusia was our biggest rival. But Andalusia, state champion uh, in, in football this past season. Great year from them. Auburn is recruiting uh, at least one player. I know the, the big running back from, from there who's really, really good, among others. So shout out to Covington County. It's always cool seeing um, folks from kind of around my old neck of the woods Um you know, be a little bit more prominent in, 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 in the recruiting sphere and in Auburn sports. So shout out to Andy Pharmacist. Shout out to all of you good people who are Covenant County or Covenant County uh, alums. We all we all live the same life, I guess. It's middle of nowhere. At least it's close to the beach. That's the one thing I will I will I'll always ride for for I was actually talking about that with somebody today. Um, being getting to be in Fort Walton or Destin within an hour used to be. I mean, I got I got so spoiled by that man. <laughs> and then you move to Auburn, you're like, oh, it's a little bit longer of a drive to get there now. It's just far enough that it's not very convenient. You can make a day trip yeah. out of it, but it's a long day. It, it is a long day. Not like when I, I was growing up, and you'd be like, if you wanted to go on like a Saturday, you could just go get in the car and do that, and it was super easy. So anyway. Uh, shout out to Andy Pharmacist and shout out to our all of our pharmacists everywhere for doing for doing the good work of selling drugs legally. We also want to shout out the good people at Homefield Apparel. And Homefield Apparel doesn't sell drugs legally, but they sell comfortable t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies that are so good, they're basically drugs. I'm sure they love me saying that on the air, but Homefield We've partnered with Homefield since day one, uh, and uh, they are our only sponsor, ad partner, and the only one uh, we're probably ever going to have or want to have because they are the very best. Um, Homefield's continuing to do a lot of refreshes, a lot of cool stuff coming up uh, over the next few weeks and months. I don't know if Auburn's going to get a refresh, but um, I would continue to keep an eye out uh, and see if there might be some new Auburn stuff here in the near future. I'm not again. I'm I'm just speculating here. Just think, thinking the Auburn fan base might might there might be some more reason to check out home field. A lot of cool Auburn stuff. A lot of Auburn apparel. Um, some baseball designs as well. We don't talk about or cover baseball that much on here because you know I tell everyone to go read and listen to Jason Caldwell and Brian Matthews and Lindsey and all those guys. Um, but there's some really cool Auburn baseball designs. Auburn baseball. Um, Back at practice this past weekend, I know people are excited about that at Plainsman Park. Frank Frank Thomas statue going in at a day weekend, be a whole lot of fun. Um, but you can also get your Auburn Observer T-shirt if you look at our logo and say, "Hey, that's a cool logo. I'd like to have that on a really comfortable navy T-shirt." Well, <laughs> we have the exact the exact product for you. Just search Auburn Observer at HomeFieldApparel.com and get yourself a T-shirt. Uh, be like the hundreds and hundreds of people who are very cool and stylish because they own one of these. And yeah, homefieldapparel.com, 15% off your first order order at Homefield if you use the promo code OBSERVER in the checkout. All right, we'll talk some football a little bit, Painter. We'll talk a little football here. Um, like I said, talk to Hugh Freeze on Friday uh, at the uh, Alabama Football Coaches Association Clinic. 
I think they were I think they estimated there were about six or seven hundred coaches in attendance when he was at, on the podium. A lot of FaceTime with a lot of high school coaches, um, for a lot of Auburn staff members as well. And recruiting is all about relationships, man. Um and I think I think Hugh Freeze said something pretty pretty uh pretty smart when it came to recruiting. Um when we talked to him afterwards and he said he said, we're so far behind in the 24 class or 23 class, whatever you want to say. We're making up ground, and I think this weekend, talking about what Auburn was doing at the clinic and also their junior day they had this past weekend will be another step for that. He also said at one point, our success starts and ends with those guys in that room, referring to the coaches. I told him that, and I believe that. I think we have to win 50% of our battles in this state, and it starts with those guys in the room and having great relationships with them. It is vital. Painter, we talked, I know we've talked about it for a while now, but one of the things that put Auburn, you know, that that put Auburn in the path of hiring Hugh Freeze and pointing to him as like, he's going to be our guy from, from, you know, a football perspective. One of the big things that I think the administration and the people in charge at Auburn liked is that, okay, relationships and recruiting were going to be so much better and he was going to be able to hit the ground running in that. And, you know, I think it's pretty, you know, I don't want to sit here and say everything the last guy did was wrong. And I don't want to sit here and say like, oh, you know, he couldn't get anything done and nobody liked him. Well, I'm not going to get it. Uh, You know, I will not say that. And I also, you know, I also think there there's a tendency to kind of, you know, go overboard with criticisms of the previous regime. It's like one of those things where it's like every time there's a new coaching change, it's like, well, our strength and conditioning program is a whole lot better than it used to be. Everyone says that, right? Like it's just commonplace. But I will say this, the honesty from Freeze in the recruiting stuff, like there's a number of things he said on Friday that stuck out to me where it's just like, yeah, man, he was just being pretty like, he's like, yeah, we've got to play catch up here. It's not one of those situations where you can come in, snap your fingers, and say, hey, you know, we're going to recruit at a really high level because this is Auburn, and look at us. This is Auburn. People are going to want to come play here, and, you know, we're going to get people from all over the place to come over here. In this sense, I think they're coming in and saying, look, you know, if you're an elite, if you're an elite recruit, you're an elite college football recruit, a blue chip guy, by the time you're a sophomore, maybe a little bit later, but around the time you're a sophomore, like, Teams better already have been on your radar, right? And you've already started building these relationships. And for Freeze and his staff, they're having to play from behind. And like Harson and his staff had to play from behind as well. And they also had COVID kind of getting in the way from that. But I do think there has just kind of been more urgency and more of an emphasis in saying like, hey, we got to get out here and meet these guys. And I know Harson did the whole thing of like go to every school in the state and all that. And that was that was important at the time. But like, What's going to get results is going above and beyond. I mean, Freeze said he <laughs> he was asked about some some players on his roster, and he was like, "Look, man, I haven't had a chance to really meet on and, and talk to a lot of those guys and see them because I've been out recruiting since I got the job because I can't because I have to." And there's like that's 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 the priority at this point. So I just think seeing them there and like hearing kind of his perspective on what they were doing there and the recruiting they did have it roll into junior day, have it roll into, you know, what has happened with the transfer portal and what has happened in that early signing window for Auburn. 
I don't know. It's just it was just a really good perspective to get have been like this. You know, this is why Auburn went with a guy who knows the SEC and knows the Southeast and has a reputation of being good with relationships and recruiting because that's that's the only way that you're going to be able to even come close to starting to fight back and catching up with the likes of Alabama and Georgia. He has played the part well, and I think he'll continue to do so. I, I The emphasis put on recruiting has been clearly different in a short amount of time. Yeah. When we had Christian on uh, shortly after – Freeze is hiring, and he talks some about signing day. Um, he One of the things he mentioned was, I think there was a, a difference in philosophy between the two staffs, uh, one of which was they'll come to us. That obviously I don't think worked out super well, even if there were some extenuating circumstances for that staff. And the other is what we're seeing with Freeze, which seems to be a more aggressive uh, approach. And quite frankly, the correct one, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't – just because Alabama and Georgia have had tons of success, I, I don't imagine that either of their two head coaches go, well, they'll come to us. There may be an element of truth to that. I, I think it's easy to see why if you were Nick Saban and you're winning championships and pumping out players into the NFL that you could think that way. But I still don't think that that's the philosophy Let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to Nick Saban. Before we do that, let's talk a little bit more about Auburn and what we learned. There's a um, Freeze had some really honest comments about the quarterback room, uh, and I'm going to write about those on Tuesday. So look for a newsletter on that on Tuesday morning for those of your subscribers um, and just kind of some insight and details of what's going on with Auburn at quarterback, especially in light of the fact of Auburn – Trying to go after the tra- guys in the transfer portal, not getting anybody in the transfer portal this go around. Does that mean for Robbie Ashford and some of these other guys? So keep an eye out for that. Um, we do know the start date for spring ball, and it is a lot earlier than usual. Um, the first Monday in February, or I'm sorry, the last Monday in February, not the first Monday in February. That's like in two days or a week. Sorry, February 27th is a Monday, um, and that is supposed to be the start of spring ball for Auburn. And so what will happen there, so I'm going to have a week of that, and then, then they'll break for spring break, and then they'll have a few more weeks of practice, probably, and then, you know, it, then it leads whoop, right into, uh, yeah, three weeks, and then that fourth week that would lead right into uh, A-Day on April the 8th. So, Painter, a month from now, we'll be talking spring football already. I mean, it's it's coming fast and furious, and it'll be fun trying to, balance that with postseason basketball and, and and all that good stuff but uh, we'll try to keep on top of it as much as possible just like we did last season uh, but it's getting close it's getting close and and you know we were talking the other day uh, on on bill show on, on um on the drive about like how how interesting everything was going to be in this spring football battle just because it's like okay if you're auburn like there's just so many positions where you're like, we don't know. Like we don't know where what the depth chart looks like. We don't know what the staff thinks of like, hey, who's the top receiver? Who are gonna be the number one guys out wide? It's like we well, can have a guess, you can have a theory, but what do you do until they put it out there? How's that offensive line gonna look, especially with some with those with those new transfers in? You know, what does that defensive line look like in terms of position? What does Ron Roberts want? What is this defense gonna look like? What are they gonna do? An edge rusher, you know, and, and just there's so much stuff beyond just quarterback that's just going to be fascinating to watch 
with his team this year. And I and I like what you said earlier, Brandon. It's like there's that you you start over. You're at you're at zero and zero with the new staff, and it's like yeah, it's true from a record book standpoint. But I do think it's also true in terms of a personnel and roster standpoint because it's like you know a lot of these dudes are going to be starting with square one. And as Freeze said a few days ago, he was like, yeah, man, like. We've been recruiting and focusing on that so much that, like, in this quick turnaround that they're going to have, it's like it's going to be it's going to be having to do a lot of learning about these guys in a short amount of time, and I'm sure they all have different opinions and viewpoints of where to play guys and what roles they have that are different than the last staff for a lot of these guys that are recruited by them. There is often excitement in the unknown, and there's a lot unknown about the new players that seemingly that we think probably improve Auburn's lot this season to what degree obviously we won't know Uh, but I do think there's good reason to take in the general optimism that you tend to do as you reset a season in spring ball with Auburn also meeting some of its needs this offseason as the staff hit the uh, hit the portal and, and obviously was was recruiting very hard out the gate and so I want to remember when I said let's put a pin in something that Nick Saban said, right? Remember when I said put a pin moments in ago. Want to go back to it? Um. All right. We're talking about the Alabama coaches, you know, Alabama Football Coaches Association. Something came came across the the wire over the weekend that I find interesting. Now, I I will say this at the very top: I don't know the legitimacy of it. I don't know the you know. <laughs> what what all was said it is I'm just going to read it at kind of face value. This is from uh, Glenn Gilbow uh, uh, who is currently at OutKick I think. He said that during a uh, he was writing that during a question and answer session somebody asked about NIL's impact on recruiting to Saban and according to Baker High School coach Steve Norman he said quote someone one of the best corners in the nation. Now, this is This is a Saban quote through Norman. One of the, with the best quarters in the nation came to me and asked if we'd pay him $800,000 for the player to sign here. I told him he could find another place to play. He said, talked about NIL. There was like a whole thing about like who they were talking about at the cornerback spot. Here's another quote. that said, he didn't say any names, but he talked about a kid who wanted to get his girlfriend into a law school at Alabama and pay for it. He was explaining that, that tells you where NIL and the transfer portal were going. Thought he made an excellent point. Uh, it's crazy what some kids are asking for. Apparently, it's a kid who asked for half a million in NIL money to get. It. First of all, first of all, does law school cost that much? Does does Alabama's law school cost like a half a million dollars? You're worth what you're worth, and if you've got any leverage, use it. Uh, I, I don't think it's new info to people listening here that we are pro get your bread, especially if you are a player who is not salaried. And look, if that's the tact that coaches want to place down, you know, they want to draw a line somewhere, you probably have to. I get it. When you're Nick Saban, there's no shortage of people, as I mentioned a moment ago, that do want to come play for you. So you don't have to take everyone, even if they're super talented. Uh, but I also do not have any issues with players using whatever leverage they have. Uh, It seems like a funny thing to do on the surface. And then I imagine you look at the bill for law school and you go, you know what? If you want me that badly, I bet you'll figure it out. That's so here's the other thing. It's just like the other quote, the quote 
allegedly from Saban, <laughs> this was, we lost 10 players and one starter to the Poil this year. One of them wanted $500,000, and for us to get his girlfriend into law school at Alabama and pay for it, I showed him the door. That's according to what a coach said that Saban said at this thing, uh, this clinic this past weekend. And so, first of all, I love, because it's like, Saban, man, he is so good at, like, playing both sides of an issue where it's like, hey, I hate I hate fast-paced offenses. I, you know, is this what we want football to be? And then turns around and tries to build a super weapon out of his offenses with it. Here's the thing also. It's like, man, NIL, he's, like, looking around like, man, NIL, NIL's changing everything in football. Like, you know. This is crazy. Things are getting out of control. The portal's going crazy. You know, man, it's a, I don't know. I don't know about all this stuff. He does says that. Meanwhile, they just signed the best recruiting class they've ever had. And that is in the NFL. Like, like, I can't sit here and say, and yes, yes, absolutely. Like, you, <laughs> every one of those dudes are going to Alabama because of their love of the Tide or, you know, they want to get in. No, like, of course, NIL plays a part at Alabama. I suppose that I appreciate his willingness to say, I don't like this thing. And oh, so yeah. that's probably natural because it's more of a headache and it's different. And in general, Shoot, I'm trying to figure out a coach that does like it. Right. And we're all, whether or not you're talking about football, just sort of averse to change. I will say, regardless of what he thinks about it, he is adaptable. And for somebody who is his age, I think that is even more impressive. I just think it's awesome. Like talking to a bunch of high school coaches, because it's like that, that high school football coaches would be like, yeah, man, NIL's crazy. Like, it just feels like something you would say. <laughs> then they're like, yeah, you hear this? Man, we had these players who left, and they were asking for all this money. Or, man, there's this recruit that we heard about that we tried to get, and he wanted a ton of money and uh, all this stuff. Yeah, man, yeah, man. That stuff's crazy. Meanwhile, <laughs> we're going to go sign the best the best uh, class in the country. This past year, they had one of the best transfer classes. I mean, you think about, like, Jameer Gibbs, and they got the offensive lineman that they really liked. I mean, Henry Toto was was one of their first big wins in the portal as well. It's like I just love how that like it can be. You know, I I also doubt. I also really doubt the whole like somebody asked me half of for a half a million dollars and to get my girlfriend into law school and I told him to hit the door. Like I I, I don't. I doubt that it all happened. Call it went down for that some way. healthy speculation, uh, as we have yes. laughed about on this very program, coaches have some interesting things to say from time to time. Just because it's interesting doesn't mean that it's true. Yeah, I just, you know, and also remember, this is all coming like, this is people writing about something Second that they were told. word of mouth. From, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I would love to hear Saban's thoughts on that. Because, you know, also, I mean, Saban was also the guy who got into it with, uh, with Jimbo this past year. Remember when we thought that, that was going to be the thing? And everybody thought... Wow, this rivalry between A and M Alabama is going to be so insane this year, and this might be the year A and M gets some man. And tell down, tell down. Um, I just, I don't know. That was just a really funny thing for to kind of pop up, and it'd be like it, it just kind of shows where it's like coaches, like you, let's say coaches say that. Let's just say Saban said all that stuff, and he's talking about coaches and all that, or talking to coaches and talking about NIL and all that. Like I can see that all being true, and it's like. But I'm, you know, I, I will still play the game. I still have to. I still have to do this. Worth noting. Don't know how interesting it is that you have pointed out. Kirby seems to be a bit savvier in this arena. Maybe even better at handling this sort of thing. And if there's truth or elements of truth to 
what Saban said. I feel like there's more comments like this from Saban than we hear from Kirby. I feel like I don't hear Kirby talking about things that I don't even think you would call this controversial. I would just say that when Nick Saban opens his mouth about something like name, image, and likeness, we're all going to stop and pay attention to what he has to say. I just don't hear about it. Whether it's name, image, and likeness, the transfer portal, or some other rule change, I don't hear it. Whatever Kirby's opinion is, I don't tend to know. Yeah, I, and I think I think he's he's more so. Again, it's not like it's not it's not like Saban complaining about any of this stuff has kept him from being Correct. successful or recruiting. But Correct. I do think Kirby does play that game a little bit better uh, than the others. But anyway, I thought that was funny uh, just to kind of like Nick Saban just be in here and be like, guys, guys, I know, man, it's uh, this NIL stuff's crazy. <laughs> he just starts he just starts throwing numbers out. <laughs> Well, that it, same man. thing kind of happened when they talked about Bryce Young when name, image, and likeness was still fresh. Yeah, he went I to a Texas. He, he went to a Texas coaching clinic and be like, "Look, <laughs> you know what my quarterback's getting? Like a million dollars. Game. There's no way that this would look good on me. Uh, yeah, our backup gets a million dollars. There's no reason I wouldn't say something like that. And it that not, that all that also makes the whole Jalen Rashada thing, Jalen Rashada thing, so weird. The Florida quarterback, right? Where it's just like. How did you? How did anyone ever promise a guy a kid more than like? If Bryce promise, Young was worth roughly a million, you know, it's like oh, they mm. they they Florida was like, you know what we're gonna do? Because it was like four years, thirteen million or something like that. It was like, do you know what we're gonna do? We are going to take a high school kid, a quarterback, not even a five star quarterback, uh, or not a consensus five star quarterback. And we are going to offer him like a contract that you would give like a solid slot receiver in the NFL, like a guy that you would want to be like your number, like your number three or number four receiver on a good playoff team. And we're going to give him that. We're going to give him that. (laughs) Meanwhile, it was like Bryce Young and like when Bo had like his, Bo made a good bit of money that first year in NIL because he was a starting quarterback at at Auburn. (laughs) It's just like, man, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing with some of these people? It goes back to, though, the NCAA. You could have fixed all this at the NCAA, at the NCAA, but you're too busy being a corrupt fraud of an organization that you just let it become the Wild West because you had no legal grounds to stand on um, instead of just being like, no, I, you know, the kids don't deserve any money. This is all about it's all about how much money we can give Josh Heupel. Which, I mean, again, if you're Tennessee, man, I, like, I get spending all that money on... Josh Heifel and I get spending all that money on facility. I mean, Auburn just Auburn's got a brand new football facility uh, with all the bells and whistles because it's like, yeah, this money's got to go somewhere and ain't going to the kids directly, not not through the school. So why not? And why it's hard to particularly care when the coaches complain about things like this. That is what the money's for, brother. That is what Figure the money's it out. for. Yep. All right, so – Appreciate you guys listening uh, to this. A lot of basketball and a lot of football coming your way at the Observer the next few days. Like I said, we have newsletter on the quarterbacks you want to check out on Tuesday. Um, potentially, not 100% sure timing and all that, but planning on going down at some point this week to the Senior Bowl. Um, there might be some Auburn coaches down there and also Derek Hall and Eku Leota are down there. Uh, so you might see some content out of that over the next few days. And then obviously Auburn plays at uh, plays at home against Georgia on Wednesday. We'll be back to talk about that on our premium pod later in the week. And then Auburn goes to Tennessee next Saturday. Huge game there. 
Um, and uh, I will be in Knoxville for that one. Didn't go to Morgantown, but uh, we'll be back on the grind, back on the road here after uh, after enjoying a little time here this weekend. All right, Painter, that's it for me. Well, I almost knocked a lamp down, so I don't need to do that anymore. I should probably stop recording this podcast. Your final thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Johnny Cash. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar, go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news My head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on